What's going on? I got to tell you, I don't like the term paradigm shift, but I'm going to use it today because I think it's appropriate. I know, I know, I feel like I'm using the word proactive. It just makes me feel dirty. What's going on? Welcome to the program. Thank you for listening. Uh, You can hear all of the episodes at uh, any of your favorite podcasting platforms, and I have all of the links down in the description uh, at the page at thepetecallendershow.com. You can also get links there for the Facebook group. You can get links there for the Marketplace. Uh, You can get links there to Patreon so you can support the program. Uh, Like, for example, Brian has done and Ashley has done and Grant has done, and Les, and Nick. I appreciate everyone's support, as well as Taylor and Stephen. Thank you, everybody. Uh, The program is made possible by folks like you, as well as uh, folks who uh, are small business owners around the Asheville area. And uh, Mattress Man is one of them. They've been with me for now a year since I was on the radio and now doing the podcast. He was one of the first that signed up to, uh, he was the first actually, that signed up uh, to advertise on the program to support this show. Chuck at Mattress Man. He's the owner of Mattress Man Stores. They've got four stores in Asheville and Arden and Hendersonville. They'd love to see you when North Carolina reopens. But in the meantime, if you're looking to buy a mattress, you can go to his website, mattressmanstores.com is the website, mattressmanstores.com. They wanted to reach out, let everybody know that, you know, their thoughts are with you, with your loved ones. This is very difficult. It's, you know, they're going through it as well. They're a small business and uh, they're seeing and feeling all of the same things that that we are. And uh, so they know that as social distancing and the quarantines and the lockdowns and everything, when all of that stuff went into place, they knew that they were going to have to, you know, do something. Small businesses have to adapt. They they weren't counting on some big bailout, you know, from uh, the federal government. And so uh, what they did was they rebuilt their online presence, their website, mattressmanstores.com. So you can choose your best mattress from the comfort of your home. And uh, they have the 120-day comfort guarantee, and that ensures that you're going to love your mattress. Uh, and if you don't, they'll exchange it for free for a limited time. The 120-day comfort guarantee. After all, sleeping on the right mattress helps you combat stress and anxiety for optimal health. The fear of choosing the wrong mattress should not add to it, right? Visit mattressmanstores.com, click the shop online button, and you can order right there. And if you're local, you're going to get free local white glove delivery. Use the special discount code RESTWELL, all one word, R-E-S-T-W-E-L-L, and you can get, you will get, an additional 20% savings site-wide. Mattressmanstores.com. Experience the difference at Mattressman. Mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. Okay, so here is the use of the term paradigm shift. Okay, again, not a fan of the term, but I think it's appropriate uh, in this situation. There needs to be a paradigm shift, a, a, a change in the discussion, particularly here in North Carolina. There needs to be a, a shift that occurs from this uh, thinking in terms of uh, essential versus non-essential jobs. All right, that needs to go away. That is not the appropriate 
way to look at uh, the lockdowns or the re- the reopening of the state. That's not that's not it. It's not essential versus non-essential. And the people who are out there accusing uh, others who want to reopen the state of trying to kill people, um, they should be ignored as completely unserious partisan hacks. Okay, that's not the argument at all. The only people making those argument are uh, those arguments are the insane people and the partisans. That's it, because that's not actually the argument. Any honest assessment uh, will make that very clear very quickly. That's not the argument. It's not that you're advocating for people to go out, not socially distance and die and get infected because i would point out that these same pieces of garbage that make that argument uh they are uh you know curled up in a ball in their home getting delivery from i guess what essential people right so it's okay to subject those people to bring you your stuff while you advocate everybody stay home and then toss grenades at political opponents saying they want people to die while you chow down on your delivered pizza That's the inherent dishonesty in the position that they've adopted. They should be ignored. That's not the argument either. It's not an argument of lives versus money. It's not an argument of essential versus non-essential. Okay? It's not. It is an argument of can you do the job safely or not? And if you can't figure out a way to open up a business or run your business, your enterprise, if you can't figure out a way to do it safely then you can't open. That needs to be the criteria because there is no rationality for why a grocery store can be the only place open in town, attracting everybody to its aisles because it's essential. Yet you're subjecting people then to essentially what? A mass gathering. Meanwhile, you're closing down other businesses that, that that offer things for sale that people would want to need as well, most notably jobs, you're closing those businesses down because you've de- determined, GovCo has determined, that it's not essential. That's the wrong argument. People are put at no less or greater risk shopping for paper products at a Staples store than they are shopping for Uh, paper products at Ingalls. Me buying a notebook in either one of those stores is no riskier than the other, right? It comes down to, can you open your business safely? Can these jobs be done safely? And if the answer is yes, for example, throwing a Big Mac out the window into a waiting car, right? If you can do that safely, then Maybe you could also, I don't know, throw communion wafers out a window into a car. See how that works? That's the consistent application of the standard. It's not about essential versus non-essential. That's the wrong argument. I understand where it came from. I understand uh, why it started that way. But that needs to go away. That needs to stop. Because that's not the argument any longer. If it ever really was. But that's not the argument any longer. On Friday, Governor Cooper did another one of his uh, briefings. I don't even know what to call these things anymore. I guess it's a briefing, I guess. Uh, A press conference, news conference. You know the difference between a news conference and a press conference, by the way? (laughs) It's just a news conference includes organizations besides newspapers. Print, press, 
press conference. Okay. Sorry. I don't know why that, I don't know why I feel the need to tell you that stuff. It's just little tidbits of information that like roll around in my head that feel the need to break free and I can't help it. So the nice thing though about North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper being such an awful public speaker is that when he attempts to do one of his rhetorical takedowns of a political opponent, it is so painful to watch. It's almost funny. Like it's so bad. It's good. It is so obviously scripted, so obviously rehearsed, and so obviously delivered badly. (laughs) It's so bad. And that's what happened on Friday, and that's where I'm going to start. It was actually one of the uh, last questions that he took in the Q&A news briefing uh, on Friday afternoon, which, here's another aside, I don't know why I feel the need to mention this either, but what's up with the deal that, like, they changed the day, or uh, uh, the time, rather, Uh, of these daily briefings. So last week, there was one of them, I think it was Monday, it was at three o'clock. And then Wednesday, it was at two o'clock. And then Friday, it was at four o'clock. And I don't understand why that is. I don't understand why you're taking these at different times, why you're setting these things up at different times, depending on the day of the week. It's actually not one of the best practices. In any kind of crisis management PR situation, what I was taught years ago was that uh, you essentially you go to the press that's all you know gathered someplace to get the official statements from the official people you show up there this was actually the uh, advice offered by uh, Bill Garant was his name he was the public information officer in Charlotte when the plane crashed in the neighborhood right outside the airport during a, a thunderstorm uh, U.S. Airways I think U.S. Air Flight 1016 and you know, he had media parachuting in from all over the country. They don't even know what state they're in. They're like, oh, well, yeah, this is like West Virginia, right? Or we're in South Carolina, right? Like, no. Okay, so first thing he had to do was, here's a bio of Charlotte. He had to give them like a population sketch and say, this is where, this is, you know, how big we are. And he then had to figure out a way to keep these media people um, from getting going throughout this neighborhood because the plane crashed into a neighborhood. And so they were, you know, they were trying to cordon off this whole crash site. And then you had reporters and photographers trying to sneak in. And so finally he said, okay, I'm going to set up a news conference every single day. It's going to be right here. He drew an X on the ground and he said, right here every day, what time do you want to do it? And he asked them and they said, four o'clock. So he says, all right, four o'clock. I'm going to be here every day. Even if I don't have any information, I'll be here every day at four o'clock. And I'm going to answer every one of your questions until you don't have any more. Those are best practices. Why? Because if you don't feed the beast, it will go in search of food. Right? And so that's what he's doing. He's going and feeding the beast. He's saying, I will give you all the information. And unlike Roy Cooper at these tightly managed uh, phone news conferences, no follow-up phone uh, or uh, questions allowed from the reporters. So you can get, you can answer, uh, ask the governor one question, and that's it. And then they put you back on hold. And so if the governor doesn't answer your question, which, spoiler alert, he generally doesn't, then you're just left as the reporter to just write whatever he uh, he says. You're just basically a stenographer for the governor, which for the governor's folks, that's fantastic. They love that. That's kind of the point of tightly scripting it. It's also the point um, when you know that your your candidate is not a very good public speaker. He cannot deliver these lines very well, uh, and he can't uh, engage in in the sort of uh, rhetorical jousting that a lot of Republican lawmakers are subjected to with the media. I've talked about this for years, which is this is there's 
there is a pro and a con here to being protected and insulated from the kind of uh, media attacks that Republicans get all the time. Uh, it, it, the the pro, obviously, is that it becomes much easier to sell your garbage to people, right? Your your rhetoric goes a lot further and is um, and is amplified by the media megaphone. And the downside is, though, is that uh, if you do ever get caught in a situation where you actually need to debate, you're kind of screwed because you've got no practice. Right? You've been you've been just uh, you know just laying around, just getting softball questions, and then all of a sudden, when you got to work for it, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. So. It's actually kind of a disservice that Democrats get done by these uh, by a lot of the Capitol press corps. A good example uh, of of Governor Cooper's ineffective public speaking style uh, was in this answer. So the question was uh, about whether or not uh, he wanted to clarify some of the rules limiting gatherings, mass gatherings. Do you want to clarify some of the rules? That was what he was asked. And this is obviously sort of a setup question for him to respond to what have been uh, calls among generally Republicans who are saying you're applying an inconsistent standard to churches that you're not applying to retail establishments or other establishments for that matter. Now, I went over some of this last week, um, but in case you didn't hear it I'll, real quick, I'll do it again, which is if I've got a business and I'm right next door to a church. You're the preacher of that church. And let's say our occupancy rate is the same. I can have a thousand people in my business and you can have a thousand congregants in your church. So what do they say to me? They say, well, Pete, you can uh, have not the thousand, but we're going to limit you to 20%. So 20% of a thousand occupants at any given time is 200 people. Yay me. I get to have 200 people. But you and your church, you don't get the 20% rule. You get a cap of 10, not, not 10%, 10, 10 people that like you are capped no more than 10. That is a, that is a, uh, that is an offense to the executive order. Why? Why? If people can behave responsibly, if people, and I know that's a big if, but if people, but if you can set up your congregation, if you can set up your church, like, uh, in these parking lots, they were doing parking lot services, drive-in services and stuff. And in Wake County, those were banned. I think they've since now uh, eased that restriction, but that's what prompted a lot of this. It's the and, and this this kind of overreach by GovCo prompts the reaction that you're seeing now from people who are sort of the sheepdogs of society, very very concerned about the loss of their constitutional rights, and they bark at all the noises in the dark because they see the threat and then they get dismissed. Oh, that's just the crazy dog, you know, barking at the sounds in the dark. Right. But there are wolves out there and the wolves do indeed come in and they do kill the sheep, which is why you have the sheep dogs in the first place. Right. So here is what Cooper said when asked if he wanted to clarify the rules limiting religious gatherings. I miss going to my church. I also care deeply about my congregation. I think it's irresponsible for some politicians to use faith to lure people into endangering themselves, their families, and their own congregation, uh, especially at a time when the president's own guidelines don't advise NC 
reopening yet. Uh, we know <laughs> that there is a reason why that federal guidelines and our guidelines prevent gatherings of more than 10 people. When people gather together and, are, together and are around each other for a while, the evidence is overwhelming that the virus can spread so much more easily. And unfortunately, this has happened in churches at our state and, and across the country. I want very much for us to be able to ease restrictions as quickly as we possibly can, but we have to keep public safety at the forefront. I do believe that Governor Cooper wants to reopen the state. And I do believe he wants to open the state as quickly as possible. I also believe that he is not a very good politician. He's a very good politician inside of a Democrat machine apparatus. But just as a, as an individual politician, he's not he's not great. He's not a great public speaker. Yeah, uh, he 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 comes across at least to me comes across as phony uh, and. Uh, and and cynical when you actually pay attention to how he engages in politics really cynical and uh i but how that being said i do believe he wants the state to reopen as quickly as possible but he's afraid he's going to get blasted if he opens the state up too soon and more people get sick and die so he wants i think to make sure that he can blame whoever he needs to blame when the reopening happens he can, he can blame republicans and so that's what this was about. And by the way, <clears throat> so two things. Number one, when he says, uh, you heard it in his comment where he actually says, and I quote, NC reopening. Who talks like that? Nobody talks like that. NC, when he's talking about North Carolina reopen, reopening, you would just say North Carolina reopening. You wouldn't say NC reopening. Nobody says NC. Nobody uses the abbreviation for the state when you mention the state's name. Nobody does that. Unless, of course, you're reading from a prepared statement, which he was, that was in front of him on his lectern. You can see him looking down at it repeatedly at the beginning of his answer. You can hear the in every time he's pausing, he's looking down his eyes. but He's trying not to tilt his whole head. You can see his head, his eyes rather just look kind of down to see where he is on that prepared uh, statement. He crafted, or I should say, you know, his 17,842 comms people, they crafted that statement for him so he could launch it and uh, have enough wiggle room to, uh, to duck out of any kind of... Uh, any kind of reaction that might be a bit too partisan. You know, oh, I can't believe he would say that. Because what did he say? Right? He said that uh, some politicians, he doesn't name who they are, he says, using faith to lure people into endangering themselves. Right? So he's accusing Republicans, I assume, he's accusing Republicans of using faith to lure Christians to church so they die. <laughs> and this is red meat for the base, for the lefty base. They love this. Because this is what they believe. Have you seen the reactions to the reopen NC and the reopen Massachusetts and the re all these different groups that are starting up? The left reaction to this is, uh, well, it's typical, you know. Oh, look at these Nazis and Confederate flag waving Neanderthals. Uh, they're just trying to get everybody dead. Good, let them all die. They're all going to get all Trumpkin voters. They're all going to get their COVID and die. 
they're they're very excited to see this happen. And then when the people die from COVID, they'll be like, yeah, good. Ha ha ha. In fact, the New York Times did a whole story about a guy who the New York Times blames Sean Hannity and Fox News for this guy's death because he didn't believe COVID-19 was a big deal. So he went off on a cruise back in March or something. And they quote some lines from the Hannity show, which actually hadn't even been delivered until the guy got back. Man dies after going on cruise, gets COVID. Now, we don't even know if he got COVID before or after the trip, but his, his family is blaming Fox News. Now, his family, the kids, they're all liberals, so they're blaming Fox News. Who they're not blaming? The New York Times, who was downplaying COVID-19, along with all of the other media, along with the Democratic leadership. Everybody was saying, not a big deal, not a pandemic. Uh, Trump's just a racist for shutting down travel from China. That was Those were the headlines before this guy went on his trip. <laughs> and then he comes back and dies. But because he watched Fox News, the New York Times blames Fox News. This is the kind of stuff we're seeing. Do you think that doesn't prompt a reaction? Of course it does. Of course it does. Now, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I should be maybe give Cooper the benefit of the doubt here. Maybe he's talking about the five North Carolina state senators who are calling on him to allow NASCAR races uh, at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Maybe that's what he meant by religion uh, being used to lure people into. Well, it is kind of like a religion. <laughs> senators Kathy Harrington, Paul Newton, Todd Johnson, Vicki Sawyer. And Carl Ford all want Cooper to partially reopen Charlotte Motor Speedway, which is not technically located in Charlotte, in time for the Memorial Day race. Basically, they want to run the race, allow the NASCAR uh, uh, folks to run the race, uh, but there will be no fans in the stands. So uh, basically, uh, that is sort of in line with the trends of NASCAR anyway, right? With no fans. Sorry. Come on. that's, That's such an obvious opening how could i not take that come on senate leader phil berger though is probably the target of cooper's comments there because berger has been among those who have criticized the uh, stay-at-home orders particularly wake counties uh, that restrict religious activity and uh you know he was pointing out phil berger was pointing out that no communion no tithes no religious literature yet the same government orders allow people to pay cash for takeout food after reviewing a menu at the local mcdonald's right so uh, well i don't know like you can't they're not giving you paper menus to look at so there that's that's different um but there's no difference to me at least in pulling up in a drive-through and getting food or pulling up into a parking lot, turning on the radio, listening to the preacher do his sermon. There's no difference to me. As long as you're not getting out of the car, mixing and mingling and doing all of that, as long as you're doing the social distancing, wearing masks and and such, I think that's perfectly acceptable. I mean, but that's just me. Like, what do I know? I'm just, you know, a little old podcaster, right? Now, I do know that if you are not prepared for these types of situations, they uh, become even more difficult just like anything else. Uh, If you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Uh, And this is one of the things that Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus was doing uh, in the weeks prior to really anybody even knowing about coronavirus, because I spoke with Tim weeks before uh, any of the lockdowns started getting uh, issued. And um, he was telling me, 
you need to be prepared. And I'm taking phone calls. I'm offering advice uh, to people about what they're going to need. He said about 80% of his time was spent on the phone talking with people uh, about how to be prepared. Old Grouch's military surplus for 30-plus years now. They've been uh, your place, your stop for old-school, traditional military surplus with a mix of modern items as well. They get new stuff in all the time. He's running it all now, though, on his website. So go to oldgrouch.com, oldgrouch.com. By the way, he also has a text line set up so you can send him texts. 565-2497. That's 565-2497. You can make an order. You can ask about an item. You can get some advice. Uh, You can book an appointment for... Uh, uniforms for like EMS, law enforcement folks, if you need uniforms, send Tim a text at 565-2497, Old Grouch's Military Surplus, oldgrouch.com. All right, now let me reset though, because when the governor began his press conference, he gave uh, an update on some of the uh, some of the, the stats, some of the data and credit where it's due because they haven't been giving us a whole lot of data uh, and they still aren't giving us a lot of data, uh, but they did give us some. So credit where it's due. Here is the governor's opening remarks. They only run about five or six minutes here, and he does have uh, some information I think that is valuable for North Carolinians to hear. As of today, North Carolina has 5,859 confirmed cases, 429 people in the hospital, and sadly... 152 deaths. We know that this disease includes an extra amount of sorrow since loved ones cannot be at the bedside. And we continue to hold all of those suffering from this virus in our thoughts. Earlier this week, I laid out our path forward to a new normal dependent upon testing, tracing, and trends. The three T's. I wanted to share some key updates about our work on that front. Mm. On testing first. North Carolina has made great strides, but we have more work to do. We've conducted at least 73,000 tests, which is a long way from where we were a month ago. In fact, testing in our state has increased by 88% over the last two weeks. But we need testing to be more widespread, and we need to use it to give us a better indication of where we are in this fight. Today, we announce a partnership with three of our state's medical universities to use testing and tracing to help us determine how far the disease has spread in North Carolina. This research is part of a coordinated statewide effort to learn more about what percentage of people have no symptoms and to better understand the true number of COVID-19 infections in our state. The University of North Carolina, East Carolina University, and Duke University are joining with us in this project, and we're confident that their expertise will tell us more about how the disease spreads. We still know that more help is needed from the federal government on testing. The president yesterday shared guidelines for the country to be able to reopen. It was good to see that many of the national criteria match what we're doing here in North Carolina. (laughs) But I and other governors around the country have Uh. been clear. 
We still need assistance with testing supplies and personal protective equipment. The President has left the responsibility to me as governor to make decisions about how and when we ease restrictions. Okay, hang on a second. All right. Um, <clears throat> the President has not let you make these decisions. Those are your decisions. Okay, this is a system, this is a federalist system. Those are your decisions. Okay. I know the the president made some comments, and then, of course, the president's supporters all jumped on board and said, oh, well, he said it, so it must be true. The president doesn't dictate when the states start lifting their various executive orders. Okay, that's not he doesn't have authority to do that. You he doesn't get to tell the governors when they can do stuff. But Cooper seems seems interested in in letting the public believe that I suspect it has something to do with the ability to shift blame where he needs to because that's what he's doing with the ppe right the uh the personal protective equipment and the testing right he's saying oh but for the federal government we would totally be you know kicking butt because look at us we've got seventy three thousand tests conducted in the state and that is an 88 percent increase well yeah people so he's talking about 73,000 test kits. We have like 10 million people in the country or in the state, rather 10 million people in the state and 73,000 tests. Okay. So it's an 88% increase. You know what it is also? It's a 100% increase from when you had none. Like that was, <laughs> I mean, come on. This <laughs> is the percentage increase is not relevant here. It's the number. It's the total number. But he's hawking the 88% number because, oh, it's 88%. So he wants credit for the increase in testing and the 88%, but he doesn't want any of the blame for not doing enough testing. (laughs) So, And look, by the way, I am not one of these people who's just automatically going to say Cooper is wrong on the PPE front and the testing front. Um, Yeah, if the feds uh, are not giving them the equipment and not giving them the tests and not giving them supplies. That's not a surprise to me. I'm a firm believer in government's ineffectiveness. Like do not get, do not mistake me for somebody who thinks that government excels in this particular field. It does not. So it is not a surprise when government at any level can't figure out what the heck it's doing. So not exactly a big surprise. All right. Now, I will say this was probably a big surprise for a lot of people, uh, business owners, right, and uh, entrepreneurs when all of this happened. And all of a sudden now your business is shut down and everything's moved online. And so you're scrambling to set up or trying to improve your business website. It can be overwhelming for any of us. It was for me. And I was setting my stuff up pre-COVID. Let my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design help you with logos, graphics, photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. This is for professional services, corporate, small business, and entrepreneurs. Schaefer Smith Design. Make your website look professional and user-friendly for your customers and you so you can adapt quickly. SchaeferSmith.com. That's SchaeferSmith.com. So back to the governor's uh, comments here. I understand that government is not able to do all of the things it promises. I am a libertarian. I understand this. So this is not uh, particularly uh, 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 earth-shattering news. Okay, But I do also recognize that Cooper is making a point here to shift some of the blame to Donald Trump. 
every politician, Trump included, they're all looking at all of this through a political prism of how am I going to insulate myself from uh, from the the responsibilities if I fail, while also claiming credit if I succeed. And they don't know what's going to happen yet. Nobody knows if they're going to succeed or fail. So everyone's trying to hedge their bets right now. And that's how, or it's why you're getting these immediate reversals of positions, because they're all trying to figure out how best it plays to their advantage. Okay, so back to the uh, opening statement here. There's about three minutes left. The president has left the responsibility to me as governor to make decisions about how and when we ease restrictions. I accept that. But when governors are faced with global supply chain breakdowns, when it comes to supplies and equipment, the federal government must help more. And they have some, and we appreciate it, but not enough. Easing restrictions here in our state without enough masks, gowns, and gloves is like setting off on a three-day camping trip with enough food for just one night. We need all of these supplies to collect more test samples and to ensure hospitals and first responders have what they need. North Carolina now has 13 labs, public, private, and hospital, that have performed at least 73,000 diagnostic tests. But we need more. We're doing our part, and we've set up a testing surge group. It's going to be a work group that Dr. Cohen will tell you a little bit more about. (laughs) They're going to be important in this process. Okay. On tracing, we're continuing to deploy groups to hotspots like nursing homes to find out where the virus has spread and warn those who might be at risk. That's another place we'll need to surge more people and deploy many more tests as we work to ease restrictions in our state. Finally, we're looking every day at our trends in cases, people in the hospital, and those seriously ill. We want those trends to be headed down so that North Carolinians can restore their lives and their livelihoods. The federal guidance yesterday says we need a downward trajectory in certain categories along with the ability to test and trace in order to begin the phase-in process of easing restrictions. I know that we can do this. I understand that people are anxious to know which orders may be eased first and when that's going to happen. There's no perfect sequence or timing, but there is health guidance, business guidance, and common sense. We will put these together with each of our three areas, testing, tracing, and trids, (laughs) to make those decisions and get more people back to work. Now, I know you're getting probably getting tired of hearing me say this, but Uh as we head into another weekend, please remember that every day you stay at home and practice social distancing is another day saving lives, and getting us closer to reopening more of our economy. 
I want to congratulate North Carolinians. You've made great efforts to keep yourselves and your family safe. It is working. Yeah, right. Uh, all of my earlier criticisms of his delivery style stand. You can hear them all there. I just, I don't even feel like going over it. I just would point out this persistent wrestling match that he's having with his tongue and salivary glands. But uh, a couple of things here. He says we need supplies, the PPE, the protective equipment. We need these supplies in order to do more tests. And that makes sense to me. And I have no doubt that the federal government has not come through and given them what they promised. Again, I'm a libertarian. This is not uh, uh, earth-shattering information that GovCo promises to do stuff and then doesn't do it. Um, so the question I would have as a reporter is how, how many supplies, Right. Like, what is the ask? What do you need? Because he doesn't tell us. He just he just says, oh, we did 73,000 tests. Okay, is that good? Is that bad? Well, it's better than it was. Okay, what would be optimal? What's the context? That's what you should be looking for in these, uh, in, in these press briefings is the context. Looking at a number... It, absent any other it, it's like the it's like the the headlines that they were running u.s now has more cases of covid than any other nation right well what's the context there well the context is we have more people than any other nation well except china but china's lying another piece of context right so the data point in isolation is really of not a lot of value if you don't understand the context in which the data point exists, Michael Highland at CBS 17, uh, he actually attempts to get at this question at this, uh, or I should say at this data and listen to how it goes here. I wanted to ask a little bit more regarding the testing capacity uh, you were talking about. Can you give us a better indication? What level do we need to get to? Do you feel like that we would be comfortable moving forward with reopening businesses, uh, reopening more parts of our state's economy. When you say we need more testing supplies, just how widespread does testing need to be? Thank you. That's a great question, Michael. And we are making significant progress having <laughs> increased our testing 88% in the last two weeks. I right, so you notice what he doesn't do there. He doesn't answer the question. He says, oh, we're just making progress and we need more. Okay. He's asking, though, what level do we need to be at? He's asking for what's the goal. That's what he's asking. And Cooper's not going to tell him, by the way, just spoiler alert. Um, I would also point out in his defense, in Cooper's defense, and really in in everyone who is responding to this, I know like everybody, you know, trapped at home for the last month and a half. Maybe we're all losing track of time and sense of time. Uh, however, it has only been two weeks, really, since the spike in uh, cases and the uh, the infiltration of this virus in our society, right? So, like that's when stuff has really started ramping up. It's been about two weeks now. Approaching three in North Carolina, we've been going, I mean, heck, some of the original orders started coming down in mid-March. But really, the, 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 the response has really ramped up just in the last two weeks. And that's pretty fast. I give... I will give GovCo and all of these uh, emergency responders and the scientists and everybody that, you know, marshalling forces trying to redirect entire economies and industries. That's no small task, right? Everybody has had to shift focus 
very, very quickly. And in our, you know, impatient, give it to me now culture, two weeks seems like a lifetime. I get it. It it seems like a lifetime to me as well. I feel like, you know, here I am launching the program and, uh, you know, the economy uh, tanks uh, and everybody's trapped at home. I could still do the show, but now like every show is on COVID, right? So, like, well, yes, we are all suffering in our own ways. So uh, I give them a lot of credit, though, for ramping up as quickly as they have. I want to go on the record and say that credit where it is due. I want us to feel good about whenever there is an outbreak in our congregate care facilities that we can go and test all the people there and to test staff, that we have a robust way to make sure that we're testing all of our frontline responders I want us to be able to test people who have symptoms, and I want us to even go beyond that, which is what we're beginning to do with our partnership that we've announced with the three universities today, to get a better scope of the kind of problem that we're facing here with COVID-19. So we want to increase all of that. You notice what he's talking about with his partnership with UNC, Duke, and East Carolina it's basically the sort of the same thing that Phil Berger announced last week with Wake Forest, Baptist Health and Atrium, this testing. And again, I am all of the above. I want all of the above. I don't view this as a competition. They obviously do. I don't. I want as much testing to occur as possible. I don't care if people get tested multiple times. I want as much as possible because I want the data, right? I want all of the data. So go for it, Roy. Go for it, Phil. Get out there and get these uh, hospital systems and these colleges and the universities, get them out there testing. That's all fantastic. Uh, He does say, though, that the lab capacity is actually pretty good in North Carolina. We've got a lot of room to run a lot more tests. The good news is that we have a lot of lab capacity to run those tests once once we get the samples there. Uh, The biggest problem is having the supplies and the personal protective equipment for the people in the field who are collecting those samples. That's where the biggest bottleneck is. That's where the issues lie. I'm going to stop again right now because you remember the difference with the Wake Forest Baptist uh, uh, study that they were doing? They were mailing these test kits to people's homes. And what does that mean? It means you don't need the PPE. You just send the kit to their home. They take a little pinprick out of their finger. They put the blood into the sample vial. They send it back to the lab. There is no need for the kind of uh, equipment that Cooper says the feds aren't giving them. And that's the bottleneck, he says. Well, if you send the kits to people's homes, guess what? They don't need to worry about the PPE. We're working every day to get personal protective equipment into our state. I'm feeling better every day about where we are in our testing process and we're going to continue to bolster it. We do want more help with the federal government, and the biggest help they can provide us now is more supplies to help us, more personal protective equipment to help us do the testing that we need. Uh, But we're working hard on expanding, and we're going to continue to expand. And we want to get to the process of easing restrictions and uh, beginning to open more of our economy in North Carolina. We know we need to do that. We're aiming toward doing that right now. Yeah, but he won't tell us when. There's no date. Uh, and I understand, you know, politically, 
uh, why you wouldn't want to do that. If you give a date and then you don't hit it, then, you know, everybody blames you for not hitting it. So I, I get that. Um, here is also a question that finally, hey, Carolina Journal, the John Locke Foundation's publication, they finally got a question that they were allowed to ask. They w- have been wanting to know from for weeks now um, who is helping advise him from sort of the private sector. Here's Lindsay Marcello from the Carolina Journal. I'd like to know uh, could you or what business leaders and industry representatives are being consulted in the decision to start lifting restrictions and open up the economy. Thank you. Thanks for that question. We have had many industry leaders on the phone giving us their thoughts about reopening the economy, particularly the Retail Merchants Association has organized phone calls where we have had uh, restaurant owners and bar owners, people on the ground telling us what it's like, what kind of conditions they would like to see as we reopen. Uh, We've talked to most all of the grocery stores, their chains regarding the uh, restrictions that we put on the number of occupants in retail stores. We've been in constant contact with the Chamber of Commerce, uh, which has continued to provide input to us. I just had a conference call with the North Carolina Federation of Independent Businesses, which is a group of small businesses in North Carolina, they may have been hit the hardest with all of this. So many small businesses that are hanging on by a thread, many of them that have been there a long time, they are giving us their input, not only about uh, the kinds of ways that North Carolina can ease into opening back up, but also what they're dealing with, with trying to recover funding Uh, from the SBA under the Paycheck Protection Act. I think it's pretty clear out there that we need to provide more funding to our small businesses. I hope the federal government will, will, uh, in the next package, provide more help there. Uh, As with the state legislative budget, I know that many, many of us agree that we need to put more money into the Rural Center Golden Leaf cooperation that's going on right now to help provide small businesses with help and I think a lot of people in the General Assembly I want to do that we'll continue to do that and we'll keep those lines of communication open with all of those entities and businesses within those entities to let us know what they're thinking because we do want to open up North Carolina we want to open it up in the right way with input on businesses about how they can protect their employees, how they can protect their customers, and how they can get back to work so that we can put people back to work. Right. See, that 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 is what I'm talking about being the new uh, paradigm, if you will, this argument that Cooper is mentioning there. It's not about essential versus not essential, and it's not about lives over money That was never actually a legitimate argument. It was about lives versus lives. But what the question is about now is, uh, can you do these jobs safely? If you can do the jobs safely for both the, you know, the, the customers and the employees, then you should be allowed to reopen, right? Now, uh, there's got to be a constant response and monitoring, uh, of, Hot spots that flare up. And let's be honest, a lot of the flare ups, a lot of these hot zones, they're coming from congregate facilities, prisons and nursing homes, right? 
That's where a lot of the outbreaks are clustered. And so when you look at data for a county and you see a huge number of cases and deaths in a county, is that because the whole county is infected or is it a cluster that exists inside of a, a, of a nursing home or a prison? Right. That's what I mean. You can't just look at the data dashboard, look at the total numbers and say, oh, my gosh, we have to shut everything down. If it's not spreading outside of the congregate care facilities, then there needs to be a different approach. And I know this this brings into um, the debate some nuance and we're just not really equipped for that in today's political environment. I get that. (laughs) Uh, But that's what needs to happen, I believe. Uh, and I do think that Cooper wants to reopen the state. It's it doesn't help him to ever be, to be on lockdown uh, in in the election cycle. It's not. The longer it goes, the worse it it goes for him. Right. It, it, I think same for Trump. I think that's why everybody is trying to all of the leadership they're trying to find a way uh, to to reopen when safe. And, and, and I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt that they're making different conclusions when looking at the data and listening to uh, advisors, that they're just coming to different conclusions. Now, there are some out there, absolutely, that have gotten drunk on the little bit of power they've tasted, no doubt about it. But I think, by and large, we should try to reserve uh, the benefit of the doubt uh, for people that are, I mean, they're they're in very difficult positions, having to make very difficult choices based on limited data. And the longer it goes, the more data we get. And hopefully they make better choices. But they are politicians in government. And so, yes, that's all within that certain context of good decisions uh, that get made. It is it's a sliding scale, if you will. It's a sliding scale. Um, If you are one of the frontline workers in healthcare, and you are thinking about buying or selling a home, Uh, If you call my friend Rowena Patton, you can be part of the Homes for Heroes program. Homes for Heroes uh, is uh, the national program, gives buyers and sellers 25% back uh, from uh, the realtor commissions, and this is open to healthcare workers. It's also open to firefighters, law enforcement, teachers, military as well, which is veterans, retired, uh, and active duty. So uh, she's the only Homes for Heroes agent in Asheville. And I know what you're thinking. How do you buy or sell a house uh, during all of the COVID stuff? She has ways. She's actually been using technology, video walking tours and drones and stuff. She's been using this technology for years. And it's why she helps get uh, it's why she gets her uh, houses sold faster and for more money and has for the last decade. So uh, give her a call. 333-4483 for a video consult. 333-4483. Mountainhomehunt.com. And start packing. The reaction of the Reopen NC organization, the the folks who are in and participating in these uh, demonstrations, Reopen NC, I would submit their reaction is in large part due to the response of GovCo and the 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 tools that the government has been implementing and using. They are inconsistent, and I would argue. Um, sometimes a bit draconian, particularly in some of these uh, uh, urban areas that I've noticed, like Wake County was one. I think Wilmington was the other one. Uh, Yeah, because we talked with Chad Adams uh, from the Big Talker in Wilmington, and uh, they they were banning people from walking on the beach. You could walk on the sidewalk next to the beach, but not the beach. That's just insanity, right? People have to be aware 
uh, of the social distancing, physical distancing, and best practices along those lines. Now, does that mean everybody is going to abide by it? No. I saw a lot of people walking around without masks on and acting as if uh, there's you know, not a plague, not a virus that's easily transmissible <laughs> right, throughout uh, the planet. Um, so, yes, you're going to have morons like that. But I think if the vast majority of people behave, then I think it will allow the more sectors of the society to open up and function, uh, not normally, but whatever the new normal functioning is going to look like. Uh, I almost equate it to 9-11. There was all, remember after 9-11 and all of the efforts that were uh, taken to harden the airplanes, right? Where they put it like, uh, you know, the, the, the doors on the cockpits and they're like arm all the pilots and maybe we should arm the flight attendants and everything. And I was of the mind, not that I disagree with any of these proposals. I just said that I don't think you're ever going to see three or four hijackers be able to take a plane like they did on 9-11. And why is that? The passengers, right? We learn and adapt. We as human beings say, oh, you know what? Um, these guys are not intending to land this plane safely. They're going to kill us all. And so we're going to try to save the plane from and the people on the ground from getting hit by this plane. And how do I know that is because they already did it, right? They did it on by the, by the fourth flight, passengers took the plane. So I don't foresee that ever happening just because we have learned and we will adapt. And that's reason for optimism, I think. All right. If you liked the show and the content therein, please do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. You can give it a thumbs up in the reviews. That would be fantastic as well. You could also consider becoming a patron of the program. You will get the coveted I'm a giver sticker. I've got one. Uh, Plus access to exclusive content and merchandise and events. If we ever get out from under the COVID lockdowns, links are at the Pete Callender Thank you for the support. Talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.